Good evening. This is Radio Free Bajel. I'm Alphonse. Tonight, the case for social justice. There is tremendous injustice in the world, and there's a lot of evidence for that. On average, women in many fields are paid substantially less than men. The most striking data I have seen is from 2008, showing that for creative class jobs, the average wage for a woman was 41% less than for a man, despite equivalent levels of education and only a small five-hour difference in weekly hours. In healthcare and law, it showed that women on average got paid less than half as much. The median net worth of black families in America is a tenth of the median white family. A black man in the U.S. is over twice as likely to be killed by police than a non-Hispanic white man. In Canada, where indigenous people make up only 5% of the population, they are 30% of prison inmates. I'm not going to continue on. There are plenty of statistics like this that you can find. While some of them may be more nuanced than they might at first appear, we have seen enough incidents of sexism, racism, and other forms of prejudice targeting women and minority groups to make it clear that our societies do suffer from systemic injustice. By systemic, I mean we're not just talking about a few bad apples. These injustices are the result of structural factors. We can't fix them by simply changing a few minds. It is no exaggeration to say that much or most of the wealth and power of our societies originated in the oppression of groups that are still marginalized today. And many practices that we believe to be objective and independent of politics turn out to be entwined with and implicated in injustice. We live under a founding myth that conceals the violent origins of our wealth and privileges. That myth is that we have neutral institutions and procedures, science, the market, law, democracy, that treat people equally, and that this equal treatment will result in fair outcomes. The reality is that these institutions were primarily created by the powerful for the powerful. Science, for instance, has never been a neutral instrument. From its creation by Sir Francis Bacon, a member of the Virginia Company that founded to colonize America, The purpose was to understand nature in order to control nature, and ultimately, to control human beings. When Western corporations conduct research on traditional medicines in India, then patent the results, they are appropriating knowledge for their own profit. When pharmaceutical firms employ impoverished research subjects in Africa, the subjects take the risk, but the firms make the profits. And those research subjects often cannot even afford to buy the life-saving medicine they helped create. Finance, too, is rooted in domination. The first bonds in America were secured with slaves as collateral, not real estate. The South grew cotton, but the North got rich on the cotton trade. More recently, in the 20th century, redlining sent black families who wanted to buy homes to loan sharks, who engineered terms that would bankrupt the families, lose them their homes, and often lose them their families. The lion's share of America's founding wealth, from money to land, was stolen from the labor of enslaved millions and from the indigenous inhabitants of the land. These practices erase what existed before. Countries that suffered the depredations of slavers hundreds of years ago still lag economically today. The division of what was once indigenous land into owned plots destroyed the economic, social, and spiritual basis of whole societies. 
even when indigenous people own the land today. It is nearly impossible to reconstruct what was lost under a regime of ownership that is alien to their traditional cultures. In fact, there are no such things as neutral institutions, no such thing as neutral science, neutral markets, neutral laws. These are systems that white European men, for the most part, imposed on everyone else, and that to this day favor most of all the wealth and power of white European men. If science, the market, and so on, are in fact instruments of power that fuel injustice, how is it that we see them as neutral? The answer is one of the core ideas of social justice. It is the reason for the term woke, meaning that one was previously asleep to the dynamics of power, but has now woken up. To get to that answer, I need to talk about language. We experience the social world primarily through language. Language defines categories— consider black and white. The skin of black people is not literally black, nor is the skin of white people white. In fact, skin color alone cannot tell us whether someone is what we would call black or white. You can find white people the skin color darker than some black people. Sometimes, when the bureaucrats and racist apartheid government of South Africa had to determine a person's race, they would apply what they called the pencil test. Pushing a pencil through a person's hair, they would see how easily it passed or whether it fell to the floor. And on the basis of that, they would determine the person's race and their rights. Yet we think of people as actually being black or white, as though that is a feature of who they are rather than a category that we are using language to put them into. But when we see someone as black, we do not see the word, we see the person. The word defines the category, but then it disappears, leaving the appearance that the category is simply something that nature gave us, not something that we created. Language, in other words, does not simply describe reality. We use language to organize reality. And then, language organizes us. The magic of language, in other words, is that it reveals and it conceals. What it conceals is the work that it does to create an image of reality. Not the true reality, but a kind of myth. It also conceals the work that people with power do when they use language to create a myth that benefits them. Then we, believing the myth, think that it is simply reality. We do not question it, or whether things could be different. There are many ways that language shapes our perception of what is natural and what is not. One is through words that create categories like black and white, But some of the most subtle ways language influences us is through assumptions that remain unsaid. Notice that when a person is black, we are likely to say so. When a person is white, we often do not. This silence is a clue that being white is normal. We expect people to be white. By implication, to be black is abnormal. Black people deviate from the norm. Language is a powerful force for determining what we think of as normal. In traditional English, one might say, man is a social animal, he lives his life in the company of others. Here, man stands for humanity, and he stands for a generic individual, who might be male or female. But this way, male is categorized as normal, while female is implied to be not normal. Language thus implicitly places white people and men at the center of society, with black people and women at the margins. So, language and institutions built around language contain biases that create the illusion that the reality they describe is natural, 
and that power and injustice do not exist, even as language treats different groups unequally. How can we learn about reality in a way that is not filtered through language? One way is through personal experience, without language standing in the way. Our experience of life and of injustice is something that language cannot hide away in untainted, sorry, unstated assumptions. If your image of reality comes only through experience or through language, then those for whom experience does not correspond with language can see society from a second perspective, that of their experience and that of the dominant language. The mismatch provides them with two points of view. Those who experience uh, a life that matches their language would not have their illusion burst. They'd only have the single experience, confirmed by both. This double experience of those on the margins can give them a deeper insight into society than those who are comfortable and privileged. The dominant language in society is powerful. We are immersed in it our whole lives. We do not just hear it, we speak it. We therefore reproduce the ideas and illusions and myths that are implicit in language in the language we use. Those who are part of unjust institutions, or whose social lives are conducted through language that conceals reality, in effect, promote the values and aims of those institutions and that language, whether they want to or not. This is the, le- is the reason that language is so powerful, because it acts through us, which means also that power and injustice act through us. Putting this all together, the injustices of the world have been concealed beneath a blanket of institutions that seem neutral, but that in fact favor privileged groups. This apparent neutrality is established through language, which creates an illusion that an unjust state of affairs is natural. What I have said by no means describes the entire social justice movement, but it captures some of the key motivations and reasoning, and makes what for me is the strongest case for the movement and for its understanding of the world. I hope whether you uh, are convinced of social justice or not, this has helped you understand it. In Islam, a person who is ignorant of the message of Muhammad may still be admitted to heaven when she learns the truth. But one who learns the truth, yet turns away, one of al-Kafirun, the rejectors, is doomed to hell. I am doomed to social justice hell. This has been Radio Free Bajel. Good night.